Welcome to the podcast of MotorWeek, television's original automotive magazine. MotorWeek is made possible by TireRack.com, State Farm, and WeatherTech. Here's your MotorWeek podcast host, John Davis. Thank you, Alec Webb, and hello, everyone, and welcome to MotorWeek podcast number 167. We're coming to you from Studio C at MotorWeek World Headquarters in Owings Mills, Maryland, around our... Did we ever figure out what this table was shaped like? Sort of a keystone table. Or a lazy Uh, triangle. Are the uh, premier members of the Motor Week staff that are going to participate today? Starting with primo number one, our writer producer Brian Robinson. Hello, Mr. Davis. Our road test producer, Ben Davis. Hey, guys. No relation. Online content coordinator, Greg Carlos. Hey, hey. And our video producer, editor, Joe Ligo. Hi. And Joe is uh, basically also the producer for the podcast today. Yes, blame it on me. Yeah, not yet. Wait till it's over. Okay, we've got lots to cover. We've got a lightning round, viewer questions, cars and vehicles. And, and in this case, I'll start off with a comparison test. Uh, those of you that watch the show know that from time to time we do comparison tests uh, jointly with cars.com. And we've just completed one. Uh, compact SUV comparison, Brian Robinson. Um, tell us what uh, what transpired. So, uh, you know, small compact uh, crossovers are Hot pretty market. much yeah the market these days. So there was a huge amount uh, available. So to come up with this test, we took uh, the winner from last time, which was Ford Escape, the bestseller in the segment, which is currently the Nissan Rogue, or was at the time, and then everything that had been updated for 17. And uh, so that left us with the Equinox, Rogue, Compass, Escape, Mazda CX-5, Honda CRV, and Volkswagen Tiguan. Uh, I guess no huge surprises on this. Um, the Mazda CX-5 was uh, much improved. Uh, ended up finishing third. I maybe would have thought it would have been a little higher. Uh, it wins a lot of other comparisons based on its, uh, you know, it's fun to drive and handling characteristics. But then ours, it typically doesn't do as well just because it's noisy. And the interior is not as nice, but with the new CX-5, uh, interior is way Big nicer. Yeah, yeah. But uh, anyway, without further ado, um, Volkswagen Tiguan was the winner uh, just by two points over, over the, the CRV, which, hmm. of course, uh, going into this was our most recently awarded uh, best small uh, SUV. Uh, I guess the big reason is just... The space inside. I mean, it's more like midsize inside. Uh, it Is it all nice, the back seat that that everybody got crazy about because it's stretched and back seat and tr- and cargo area both uh, are bigger than everybody else. And but mostly just because of the back seat. Yeah. And Even of that entire crew, Tiguan's the only one where you can get a third row, right? Um, mm-hmm. There are others in the segment, but of ones we had there, that's correct. That was the only one. Curious. Now, yes. of course, Volkswagens have a reputation for handling very well too. The Tiguan does handle very well. So did it still sort of like give you that kind of fun to drive experience that you talked about the CX-5? Is it still an SUV for somebody that likes to drive? Uh, it's close. It's not It's not as fun as the CX-5. I Heavier, mean, maybe? The Tiguan originally, last gen, was super small mm-hmm. and very fun to drive. But like similar to what they did with the Passat, um, they just made it bigger and cheaper, more American. And uh, I, it's, I wouldn't say it's as fun to drive as the CX-5, but still still fun. I, I got to ask you about two oh. that didn't finish in the top four. Yes. The number four was the Ford Escape, but then you also had Equinox, Rogue, and Compass. 
Okay, Rogue was first last time, didn't even finish or, in the top. Escape was first. I'm sorry, Escape okay. was first last time, finished fourth. Rogue is the bestseller. Uh, Equinox is all new. Jeep Compass is, of course, of all new. Mm-hmm. So where did they fall short? Uh, I would say the Escape didn't really do anything different. Just everything got a little bit better. It's a little cramped inside compared to the others. Just shows how fast um, the market's moving. Equinox uh, was the only one that was front-wheel drive, and the it had the two-liter engine upgrade, which was had a lot of power, but all you do is as soon as you step on the gas, it spins the wheels, and then traction control shuts you down. So, so. it's a knife and a gunfight. So Yeah, and the interior, I mean, despite all the stretches they've made recently, the interior just isn't close to half of these, especially the CX-5. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rogue, um, they're a big seller mostly because of incentives and fleet sales. So the it's fun to drive, and it, it's also roomy as well, but... Just overall quality, I don't think measures up to the rest. And Jeep Compass, obviously, if you want to off-road, that's the one to uh, pick, but that wasn't part of our uh, criteria. It's uh, very noisy, very slow, not the most comfortable out there. So. Hey, around the table, what do you think of these picks or, or this particular order with Tiguan, Honda, CX-5, and Escape? Agree, disagree? or um, It's curious that, um, I mean, uh, uh, infotainment's a large part of my criteria these days. So Tiguan, love the infotainment in that. I wouldn't have been surprised if CX-5 edged out CRV just for an infotainment. Because, I mean, CX-5 infotainment is pretty awesome. Yeah, Mazda, and the Honda I like is Mazda's a, system. I don't Honda's care getting better. for Honda's. It's getting better, though. But it's, I don't know. Great. Weird yeah, criteria. Um, I, was just, I can't really argue with the Tiguan. I think we were all really pleased with that one. And um, to me, that was, I think that has a good uh, value in terms of, I mean, you get a really premium feeling uh, SUV and it's really not that much more expensive than others in the segment. I don't know what the price is. Yeah, it was actually, yeah, it was actually two grand cheaper than yeah, everything else. Yeah, they're so underpricing yeah, the market. That right was now. what I was so. most uh, shocked by <laughs> and that's probably what I would imagine the your two guest drivers yeah. probably felt the same way. Um, driving, yeah, the CX-5 to me, it is a better driving uh, SUV. Or what are we calling these now? Crossovers? Uh, we're actually interchangeable it's names. Yeah, they're yeah. SUVs, but yeah. they're also crossovers. But the, the Tiguan was also good. I remember the Tiguan had lighter steering. The CX-5 had super heavy steering. So, I mean, you associate heavy steering with something that drives better, but that's not necessarily the case in, in my opinion. I thought I actually got kind of tired of it, the CX-5 um, as I remember. I was actually put off by the fact that the Tiguan steering was so light too, but – the vehicle was very agile for the fact, even though it was long and weighed quite a bit. So, yeah, you got used to it. Yeah. Yeah, I edited the the segment, which is on – I think it's on air right now, and it will be on YouTube soon if it's not already. And the one thing was mentioned was the CX-5's interior. And I watching the video, I thought, wow, that really is a good – it stands out from the other ones, I thought. It yeah, just, they've done a good job. It just – it definitely looked more upmarket than it's, what yeah, I typically Yeah, it's borderline thought. luxury, similar to what they do with the CX-9. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of the so same I, I definitely, I definitely uh, agreed with the thoughts on that, at least on the interiors. I thought. And if you need the uh, full details and a rundown, go over to uh, the uh, cars.com website. They've got all the details on that and all the other comparison tests we've done with them. And for the last, uh, gosh, I've lost track for years now. Um, let's move on to our next vehicle, also an SUV, although certainly one of a different color, the 2018 Jeep Grand Cherokee SRT track hawk oh yeah greg it's all yours well maybe for those few p- human beings that have never heard 
of a Trackhawk. What is it? Yeah, talk about an all-American SUV. Well, it's basically, I mean, it's a Grand Cherokee, as you can tell from the name, but they took the Hellcat engine, which is the 6.2-liter supercharged Hemi, and they threw it in there. Now, they had to do a lot of working to get it in there because the Grand Cherokee is a much different vehicle than, say, the Charger or the Challenger. I mean, you still need some sophistication in there, whereas if you're buying a Charger or Challenger, you just you just want, like, raw sound you want and the motor. power. Right. Yeah. So, and you get all the horsepower. You lose a little bit of torque because they did some reworking of the exhaust manifold. Again, to try and keep it somewhat civilized, you're still getting a ton of supercharger whine. Uh, great exhaust note. I found that it was actually quite comfortable on the highway. Um, in comfort mode, I actually thought they dialed in a little bit too much laziness, I guess maybe is huh. what I could say. Uh, I kind of just kept it in sport mode, and that seemed to be the best driving uh, mode for most of my driving. Got to drive it on the track, and it's the track we were on had hundreds of feet in elevation change. And basically 700 horsepower flattens the whole track. It doesn't matter if you miss your, you know, you lose momentum. The horsepower makes up for it. But, it's again, it's still an SUV, so you can you can feel – it's still a bit soft. As stiff as the suspension can be, it's still soft on a racetrack. And the steering was a little bit vague compared to, like, maybe a Cayenne or something like that. Uh, but still pretty spectacular. This the, Really, it's for zero to 60 times. And when you combine 700 horsepower with all-wheel drive, I mean, you get a pretty pretty solid launch. I think I got it in 3.5 with launch control over and over again. Like the first time you did it. Yeah, first yeah. time. And then everybody else who was doing it was pretty much coming down at the same time. So, you know, On the open road, if you, if you were lucky enough to buy something like this and you had to drive it every day, benign do you on the highway is it still is it one of those things that until you really get in it you don't know what you've got i thought it was just fine on the highway i mean it's not too much to handle again the all-wheel drive kind of helps if you do get into the throttle to pass somebody you're not going to end up in the in the wall or something like that which was a real possibility with the charger or the challenger um but this thing i it was soft when it had to be and if you really wanted to be fast and furious that was kind of a lame. A lame <laughs> How would you statement. compare it, like the AMG stuff or M stuff? Uh, the AMG and the M stuff are more hardcore. It seems like they are like much stiffer than this felt. I've like an AMG and an M. Those are like probably a step higher than the Trackhawk. But they're also harsher. Harsher riding. Exactly. That's yeah. what I'm saying. It's, probably it's harder to find a, more of a comfort zone in right. those. And this thing, while it may not do as well on a road course, it's a lot more comfortable to get to the road course. Yeah. Yeah, it, uh, it's crazy loud. It's loud for <laughs> it's sure, got yeah. Such, that, that is such a great-sounding engine. And I was looking at the footage from the, the track, and you're right. It's just like – Hard into a corner and stop it and out of right. the car. Just, just like you. Well, it it's a completely right. different goes sound from in front of the car and behind the car. In front mm-hmm. of it, all you hear is a supercharger, and as soon as it goes past you, you just get hit with this exhaust note. That's pretty awesome. Right. It just goes and goes and goes. And I, I think that they did a good job with the body work. They didn't go too It's far. not over the top. Like – I'm sure that there's aftermarket stuff, and you can make it look as wild as you want. But I like that they, like, didn't do – too much to it 
it still kind of ha- cuz the grand cherokee's a decent looking design to begin with so i'm glad they didn't mess with it too yeah the much. the key thing when you see one will probably be the yellow brake calipers cuz yeah. i think that's exclusive to uh, trackhawks i'm not even sure the last time we saw yellow calipers i'm going to paint mine yellow yeah. my exemplary <laughs> grand cherokee you know at, at 87 grand you know, we've caught some flack about calling it almost a bargain but really for what it is what else could touch it yeah a dollar per horsepower i mean it's Pretty cheap. Yeah, especially when you, well, when you look at some of the stuff that we test, that the M's and the AMGs that, that are six figures. How, how yeah. is it that, that Fiat Chrysler can get away with making stuff like this? Like they when, have to sell a lot of stuff on the other end or else basically pay a lot of penalties. Yeah, like I'm just curious, not even from a regulation standpoint, but just the fact that there's a, a commercial viability of being able to build these awesome cars and Jeeps and SUVs oh, and the please. Hellcats. Just- Fortunately, we haven't had anybody come in and limit how much power we can put in a car <laughs> yet, although I'm sure there's a lot of people that would like to do that. So it's just nuts because I – as long as it stops and handles and goes. Yeah, I just I, if ten years ago somebody would have told me that you know you'd be able to buy a seven hundred horsepower Grand Cherokee, I just, I just ten was, years ago nobody thought you could still buy a V eight. Right? So, yeah, it just seems yeah. nuts. But I'm not complaining. But it it's, does show actually cool. when you look at this particular vehicle's got pretty awful fuel economy stats. But in some ways they're no worse than they were twenty years ago for a large SUV. But when you right. look at the advances that have been made in internal combustion engines to make them more efficient, it's, it's, it's impressive. And so, right. as they say, there's still a lot of life yet left in these uh, big old Vs. Yeah. Benny, you know, the concept bother you? Like it? You're, you're, you're an old hot rod SUV That's guy. true. No, I encourage the concept. Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's move on to the next one. A car that um, I will admit when I saw it at the auto show absolutely knocked me out. The 2018 Lexus LS500, the new flagship for Lexus, coming at a time when um, sedans basically are uh, are being displaced rapidly by luxury SUVs. Uh, <coughs> I thought it was one of the most striking cars I'd ever seen. Um, right now, there's no 8, which the car was always famous for. It's a 3.5 twin turbo V6, although the rumor is there's a small 8 coming. Is it a fitting uh, flagship, and does is it really going to make a stop this tidal wave, or is it just going to kind of be, hey, if, if you're there and you want a sedan at the top of the market, you can buy it. Is it a, a, a decent rival for the S-Class? What do you think? I went on the event. Um, and, yeah, it, it, I, I do think there is uh, – I do think they're making steps to make it um, a viable option over an SUV. For instance – they're leaning more towards a sport tune ride versus a flagship luxury car ride. Um, also so, following what Lexus has been doing with their other cars. Yeah, because let's face it. I mean, there's really not much difference ride-wise between a, a luxury sedan and an SUV. They mm-hmm. seem to ride the same these days as a blurred line. So you got that going for it. Um, kind of a unique look inside and out. Um, super comfortable. It did everything right. Ten-speed auto. The only there was no turbo lag in the new three and a half liter twin turbo. Um, there was, however, with all those gears, it didn't like going from casual to aggressive without mm. a couple seconds of uh, thinking what gear to put you in. Mm. But um, and it, it might have been a little rigid for uh, downtown or busted up or side roads and stuff like that, suspension wise. But all in all, if you need a sedan over an SUV. It's definitely worth your while to check it out. Um, did did you feel prestigious driving it? 
No, I didn't. Well, do you think honestly. that's just because you're jaded, or do you think that says something about I think maybe because it looked too close. It didn't it, – I mean, it looked very – it had the same uh, design language as the Camry, for instance, that I just mm. recently drove. It didn't it look yeah. too unique on its own in that aspect. Um, certainly when I drove the LC, though, I felt – um, like I was driving something super special. Yeah, that was the question I had. I mean, they made a big deal about that being their new flagship. Is this still considered the flagship? Or Yeah, I think it is. I, I mean, believe so. I, I did hear la- language to that point. But, yeah, I would. I, I think I would adopt the LC as my flagship. It seems to be much more yeah. aspirational than the LS. Which I'm the t- LC is, what, maybe a halo car, and then this is a flagship? I mean, yeah, and then you're starting to split hairs. And, well, you they, don't tradi- the they don't traditionally... <laughs> Use a coupe as a flagship car. I'm, yes. I'm surprised. Only because you probably can't have it chauffeur driven and get in the back seat easy. Mm-hmm. Right, right, right. Do you think the LC is going to get this three and a half liter eventually? I think they probably will. I'm frankly surprised they they went this route and didn't take the the eight from the LC and put it in it. But I'm they, surprised. The word is it's a what's coming is an all new smaller engine and much more efficient. Mm-hmm. I'm surprised they doubled down on the Lexus grill shape because Acura kind of jettisoned their old front-end language and said, you know, we're not going to do anything too wild. Yeah, and then Lexus but says, the Lexus, we're going to get more wild. And yeah, really, I, I actually I think li- it works on this car. I, like I don't it. like the Lexus front-end in general, but I actually thought this car was okay. I think this is – I agree with you. I think this is the first time I've seen a Lexus with that kind of like out, dark hourglass or yeah. whatever it's called, where it really – they kind of owned it. They just – like I said, they doubled down on it. And they said, we're not going to give up on this. We're going to do something really kind of wild. I, I, like, I liked it. it. Yeah. I always liked it. Do you it. think they should keep trying to jam performance down our throats or embrace the old Lexus of uber comfort? And I, I don't, I'm not sure that this strategy they have now it works because they, never, they yeah. never seem to really perform that well. And then you don't have the comfort that you used to have. And then you're wondering why you have a Lexus. That's a good idea. Yeah. I mean, that's a good point. So instead of chasing Audi and BMW, just yeah. bring it back to something that's, like Genesis. Yeah, I mean, like to that. me, I think that would be better. But so what do you think? Where everything's an F-Sport version, and you're saying, like, that's that's kind of ruining the... Yeah, I don't know about yeah. ruining. I'm not sure it's a smart strategy. I never quite understood the strategy anyway. It's like they had such an incredible uh, clientele that liked what they were doing. They just decided, I guess they were too old and they wanted the younger people. Well, I don't know. I don't know. You know, I guess I don't know how well it's worked. That's a good point. Yeah, I don't yeah. think a lot of young buzzes around Lexus performance. Yeah. Yeah, the cars turn out great, but you never sort of see them, mm-hmm. at least the performance models. Okay, well, Elsa LS500. Thanks, uh, Ben and everyone. <laughs> Uh, it's time, I guess, for our lightning round. And this is, um, if you haven't listened to a podcast recently, we've changed the format a problem? little bit. <laughs> yeah, what's your problem? <laughs> what's your problem? Each panelist now gets 30 seconds to weigh in on a trending topic. And when the time is up, Joe will hit the bell. And we'll start uh, to my left. Uh, oil company Shell Rotel recently launched a petition to the White House to make the pick-em-up truck, the pickup truck, the official vehicle of the United States of America. The company wants to celebrate the achievement of all hardworking Americans by recognizing the truck as the vehicle that helped build America. Should the U.S. have a national vehicle? Is the pickup truck the right choice? And do we care what a European oil company says? <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> Thanks for the addendum there. Oh, okay, uh, who wants to start? Go ahead, Joe. All you right, like I'll, starting I'll things. I'll time myself. Time so, yourself. 
I, I agree with John on the, the whole you know European oil company. I, it's obviously a marketing thing. It's obviously in their best interest to promote the continued use of large vehicles that use a lot of gasoline. So I, I get that. And Should they obviously the know AMC? the U.S. market well. But <laughs> Well, where uh, else on earth are pickup truck, big pickup trucks – Right. You I, know, um, the majority of the vehicles that, that you see on the road today. I'd say if the U.S. had a national vehicle, I guess it could unofficially be the pickup, but I don't think it needs any actual government approval signing off. I think Why it's, not? We have the official bird. We well, have here, I've, all sorts I've of reached things. my time. <laughs> That's a good argument. Ben? Um, I think the 18-wheeler would be a better ah. <laughs> Better vehicle. True story. That's good. Are literally made for work. Pickup yeah. trucks now can kind of be used for pleasure. They are. They hardly, really how many good. pickup trucks we see now that go for 60, 70 grand? We, we just saw the first $100,000 pickup truck at, yeah. at the Texas State Fair. They might as well say, they might as well single it out as the F 150. That's the best selling pickup <laughs> truck, right? <laughs> Narrow it down just a little bit. Great. Yeah, I kind of butted in on that. That's all right. Well, we all did. Yeah, I, you can I, take some time right. away from me. But, that's uh, all right. I mean, I guess you could argue, like, the, if you're going to go for a car category, like pony car or muscle car, really. I mean, uh, but, I, you know, maybe America isn't necessarily as flashy as, say, like, in Italy or, like, any of the other European countries, maybe minus Germany. So a work truck, a pickup truck, yeah, I could see it. If you're going to say we have to have an, a truck that or something that is an American car, sure, I'll go with the pickup truck. All right. Mr. Robinson. I wouldn't say the pickup truck is the vehicle that built America. I think that was more railroads and steamships, right, during the uh, industrial or yeah, post-industrial revolution. So yeah. uh, I'm not sure. It's – I don't know. We call it, I'm not sure that we need an official vehicle. But if there were one, I mean, that's one thing that we still do well, right. Well, of course, I mean, you have to have official everything, just like you have to have holidays for everything. And official – like I just found out today is like – or this month is like Pitbull Awareness Month or something. Oh, uh, the dog or <laughs> the uh, artist? <laughs> Maybe both. <laughs> That's a good question. Mr. Yeah. Worldwide. Just any national any bosses. Uh, day is next week, I think. Oh, well, I think that. All right. Well, let <laughs> me put, let me put my two cents worth in. Yeah, please. The only problem I've got, I think if you had to pick one vehicle, you could certainly argue it's the pickup truck. And it has been for a long time. But. When you pick a national something like that, it's usually something that should be timeless. And who's to say 20 years from now these won't fall out of favor and everybody will be driving some other, well, suppose we make the electric car the official vehicle of the uh, United States. Amazon so drones. I, you know, I don't think we need it, but it's a, an interesting idea. And I'm, kinda, I'm glad they brought the it up airplane? and gave us a chance to talk about it. It's cool. Mail truck. Mail truck. There you go. UPS. Jeep. Yeah, Viewer agree. question time. We've got two uh, questions that are similar, and they have to do with tires. Uh, the first one is, what is the best device to put air in tires at home? And that's from Christine. Well, Gary asks, what's a good type of tire gauge? I always check my tires, but some gauges vary four to five t- pounds. Uh, so I assume air in my tires is talking about some kind of an air pump or something. Yeah, definitely. Right, yeah, for somebody who doesn't have a fully outfitted garage, yeah. what's the best way to go on that? How much money do you spend? You just go down to the gas station and put 50 cents in the air But this is the question is at home. <laughs> the plug in the wall inflator, no doubt, and you can get one for like 30, 50 bucks. Yeah, and they're perfectly adequate. The, the only big question is what Pacos is always talking about is the moisture. Now, I don't know. I don't have one, but do any of those little uh, – 
air pumps that have a canister built into them. Do any of those have any way to capture the moisture? Because that's the big issue. Yeah, I, I know like air compressors. My dad has like a five-horsepower air compressor, which is more – it's not professional level, but it's probably too much for the regular right. home consumer. True. But, but uh, it does have a water release valve. Yeah, okay. let, when condensation builds up in the tank, you know, every six months you're supposed to let the water out of the tank. But I'd say you can get a – 100 to 200 dollar one or two horsepower worksite air compressor that's more than enough to pump up tires you can also use it to blow debris and stuff out from under the hood and clean out your garage i think if i was buying away an air compressor that's what i'd do I'd so buy. what would you call that i guess a worksite air compressor a little one horsepower two horsepower you know electric electric okay. yes yes mm-hmm. electric um air compressor that maybe has a maximum of 120 psi they're awesome to have, don't get me wrong, but that's assuming they have a garage to keep it in where, as an inflator, it doesn't store air in a tank. It's simply it's just right. a pump. pumps it right out the hose, exactly. So you wouldn't have to worry about moisture in something like that. So It all depends I've, on what I've kind of I've gotten by so many have. years with uh, a combination of a little 12-volt one that I can carry on trips, yeah. plug in the cigarette lighter, and a little bit stronger you know 110 volt plug-in at home and yeah bring a book because it takes a little while yeah. if you're yeah, 10 pounds down but bicycle yeah. tire <laughs> physical like, pump like looney tunes yeah i mean if you're feeling bad about your physical your physique go right. ahead and pump it up can you comment uh i got nothing to add well what about uh, tire pumping up his tires? <laughs> before we went on the air there seemed to be a, a divide between digital tire gauges yeah. Uh, and the old round, uh, well, not old round, but a, a good round tire gauge. Dial, I don't, you I said didn't hear dial any, digital or dial stick. Dial digital or stick. I don't think anybody would pick stick as the best. That's no, because what always happened like to stuff. us is my dad had like five of them, and they were all bent. And so it would always get stuck. Everything said 30 PSI. But and it's, so they're great it to have around to know if you've got any air in the tire. True. Mm-hmm. And you, I, I, once I switched to dial, I never went back. I got like a spring-loaded dial one where you you know you can see the PSI. It's got a big clear gauge. It's got a release. You know you can let air out with it still on the valve. I I love it. I've, I'll never go back to the stick ones. I might keep a stick one in the car for emergencies, but I would never use that as my main gauge. It depends on how much money you spend on your uh, stick too, because I've I've had some pretty accurate sticks mm-hmm. that I'm so very fond of. So I, I don't think it's so much the, in my opinion, the, the type of the gauge is, is. But if it's a free one, you know, you can't really depend on it. Whatever you spend on it, yeah, fifteen. If you spend fifteen bucks on something, it'll be fine. No so if it's got it a is. phone number on it, there, that's probably not a good gauge. There's a, a very interesting um, uh, survey that Consumer Reports did. Uh, they tested a lot of them, and actually they found the ones the most accurate were uh, some of the digital ones, and they weren't that expensive, wow. 10 to $15. <laughs> However, close behind that were a couple of dial types in the 35 to $50 range that I would say are almost uh, professional. Mm. And so they – but they found some, some really bad and some really good – uh, digital ones. I found so. the ones built into the air pumps at gas stations are uh, not, not very, very good. good. Uh, no, likewise, <laughs> the gauges that are built into pumps are usually off. Too. Yeah, oh. so I, I did a side by side, and there was like a difference of ten psi. So. I wonder how the the free air machines at gas stations that are digital, where you just uh, type in your the oh, psi you're going off. for. Mm-hmm. I wonder how good those are. I love those. Right. Yeah. I I've used one, but I didn't go back and check it after it was over with. All I know is that these days with your Tire pressure monitoring systems, and some of those don't seem terribly accurate from wheel to wheel. Tire pressure certainly is more important now than ever before. Greg, do you have a preference? 
I'm a fan of the old-fashioned dial. I've never used the digital just because I'm skeptical. I don't know why. I just too, always yeah. assume that the analog Are you afraid dial. of technology, Greg? <laughs> yeah. My problem is when the battery dies, I never take the trouble to replace them. Right, and it's always like a teeny tiny like hearing aid battery. It never uses like a double A, yeah. right? And sometimes they're made out of plastic. They're really lightweight, and they just don't feel mm. like they would a good old dial type with, yeah. a, with a hose on it. All right, that's it. I hope, uh, Christine and uh, Gary, that helps uh, in uh, your uh, situations. But basically, the best advice is a good tire gauge. Just have several uh, of them around at different places. Put one in the glove box. Always keep one with you. Any rants and raves this week? Anything that has ticked you off about uh, or made you smile as you were driving around? I don't know. Sorry to say, I, I, I had one I saved from a couple of weeks ago, so I, I guess I'm going to launch into this one. So bear with me. Uh, I I love old cars, and I'm in a lot of old and you're car an old groups. Car guy. I'm in a lot of old car groups on Facebook, and I see a common complaint that it's hard to get young people into old cars. And then at the same time, I see a lot of them like making fun of young people for not liking the same old car, the same cars that they do. And so it's like you can't both complain, oh, kids these days don't like cars, but then at the same time make fun of them because they want to drive a different kind of car than you want. I mean, you don't want to drive your dad's car. You want to you want to express yourself through a different kind of automobile. So there, you know, you know, the American Muscle guys are like all these Honda Civics and you know all these you know hatchbacks and stuff. But isn't it isn't it good? That the car culture seems to be continuing, even if it's they're looking at right. Uh, that's that's adding, my point. Adding uh, you know bazooka mufflers instead of uh, you know instead redoing of doing a thirty four Ford or something. Craigers, right? And and the thing is, I'm sure before them, I'm sure when muscle cars came out, I'm sure that they're you know the old guys in the car culture at that point in time complained that people weren't rebuilding Willie's coupes. I mean, it just I think the world is big enough for all of us. In the the car culture world is big enough for all different kinds of enthusiasts. So it just and the other thing is my argument to the the muscle car guys is it is prohibitively expensive for somebody my age to go out and buy a muscle car. I He's just, only I, twelve. Yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so I just I don't have you know they want more people to get into the hobby, but then yeah, the they don't want to part with their cars for at any kind of affordable price. And I get that. Like they're, the cars are worth what they're worth, but it just doesn't seem like that big of a mystery why there aren't people my age getting into muscle cars. There's just – they can't afford it, and there's other cars that are more affordable that are what they want to drive. We've got stuff to do. We don't have an hour to devote to starting our car every morning. Well, yes. That, <laughs> as the owner of an old car, I definitely know that that's – fuel injection is, is definitely I just got to nice. get in and go, man. I got stuff to do. Yeah. I got texting to do on that. Thank driving. you, gentlemen. <laughs> you don't have time to I put think ether that's a, in the carburetor. This bickering is a good way for us to uh, exit from our Motor Week podcast number 167. I want to thank everybody around the table Brian Robinson, Ben Davis, Greg Carlos, and of course, you heard Joe there. Uh, Joe is also the producer of our podcast. Special thanks to Jim Bigwood, our audio engineer, who always makes sure that we sound a lot more literate than we really are. And for Bob Mixter, who came up with this crazy idea in the first place. I'm John Davis. On behalf of all of us at MotorWeek, thank you very much for listening to our podcast and for catching MotorWeek on your local public television station and also on the Velocity Cable Channel. So next time, for all of us at MotorWeek, thanks for listening, watching, and being a part of MotorWeek. You've been listening to the podcast of MotorWeek. 
television's original automotive magazine. MotorWeek is made possible by TireRack.com, State Farm, and WeatherTech. For additional information on podcasts, videos, and showtimes, visit our website at MotorWeek.org. And watch MotorWeek, television's longest-running automotive magazine series, each week on your local PBS station.